0: Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this time as we read read your Word. Father, it will speak to our hearts. um, As we read it, Lord, different things will convict us of sin. Different things will cause us to repent. Will help us to grow in our faith in you and our love in you. Uh, That will cause us to be more obedient as well. I pray, Father, that your Word will do its work. It'll we'll cut
1: through our stubbornness and our pride, and it'll uh, we'll actually do a change in our hearts and our lives, so that we'll be receptive to it and that will obey it. We we'll pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go to Romans chapter 2,
0: and then we're going to spend the rest of our time in Romans chapter 5. So what's going to be happening now is we're working our way through the book of Romans, and as you see it's been getting a little bit more and more. We've been constantly going back and referring back to the Old Testament again and again. And I think that the Best way I can think about it is I remember as a as a kid, anytime that I get a toy or anything like that, especially if it was electronic, uh, I have it for a while, play with it a little bit, and then I would grab a screwdriver and then I would take it all apart because I wanted to see how it worked, <coughs> right? And eventually, I try to put it back together and it wouldn't work again. And I still do that to this day, many times. Where right? I take something apart, try to see how I can fix it or make it better, same because I want to kind of understand how the thing works and. Some of us may be different, right? There's always there's some things that we don't care how it works. I turn it on, it works, and that's all I need to know. But there's other things in life that we want to understand everything about, it, right? Whether it be whatever our are interested in, whether it be in finances and in our work and in, in cooking or uh, health, fitness, whatever it is. There's Sometimes there's things that we like to really dig in deeper and understand, oh, so that's how it functions. The Book of Romans really is going to go over, oh, so that's what happened when we got sick. Oh, so that's what God was doing. Oh, that's why he did it the way he did it. And that's kind of the thing, because as we're going through this, as we go through Romans chapter 5, you're going to kind of think, okay, so what do I go home with? What do I actually do with this? Maybe nothing more than just simply going and saying, oh, that's how it works. (laughs) Right? Because the idea behind that is we're going through God's word. It should cause us to have some awe of what God has done, how he's put it together, so we can actually love him more, glorify him more, and maybe be more thankful for what he's actually done in our salvation. So with it, I want to start with Romans so Romans chapter 1. And we've obviously read this before. But I just want to read these first few verses again, and then we'll see how it ties in Romans 5. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. When we just read those first few verses, we realize that the human race is under a lot of trouble when it comes to the relationship with God. Because what is God pouring out on the world? His wrath. His wrath is being revealed from heaven against these kinds of things. And you say, well, what are those kinds of things? And when he lists out those kinds of things, we can look at the world and go, oh, yeah, that's the stuff that we do. And when we go back even to all the way to the past, even to today, we do nothing but exchange the glory for the immortal God for things that are created. And we worship and serve the creature ourselves mainly in this country and sometimes other things in other countries. But regardless, it's not God. And everything about it is the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against that type of behavior, that sin. So let's go to Romans chapter 5. Because something drastic has happened between Romans chapter 1 all the way to Romans chapter 5.
1: So I'm going to read the whole chapter of chapter 5 and talk through this. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified
0: through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sin, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of the one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of the one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, so when we look at how we started in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just four chapters ago, it says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Right? When we look at where the the human race is at, we have the wrath of God on us. And then suddenly, something drastically happens between Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 5, where he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. If you're at peace with God, do you have to suffer his wrath? No, the whole relationship has changed. There's no longer enemy. There's no no longer animosity. It's now There's now been a reconciliation that's gone on between the two parties. There is now peace. And we know what's happening in that is that God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. He rose again, and all he asks us to do is to take him at his word and have faith. And God says at that point in time, we are now declared righteous in his sight. That's what we read in Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter chapter 5. So therefore, since we've been declared righteous through faith, we have peace with God. Now, someone could even ask and
1: say, well, just one decision? Just having faith in that one truth? is enough to justify and be saved? Yes. And that's exactly what, what Paul's gonna go through here in Romans chapter five.
0: Say, well, how can that be? It almost doesn't seem, doesn't seem right, doesn't seem fair. It almost seems too easy. I remember uh, back in college, there was a big interfaith forum and things. We were able to share our faith with, with different faces during the whole September the 11th thing and all that. And, and I had the, the opportunity to be able to share the, the Christian side of things. And one of the people in the crowd, one of the the individuals who was Islamic, stood up and he said, so you're saying that all it takes is to believe in one thing, you know, just this one truth about the cross, and everything is just taken care of without doing anything else. It's too easy. The problem is the question seems great. It's too easy. But the real question is, but is it true or not? It doesn't matter if it's easy. Thank God if it's easy. It's whether or not it is a truth or it's not a truth. But this, this idea that it just simply through faith in Christ can become a big issue because it seems like there should be something more we need to do. If we were at war with God, if his wrath is on us because of all this horrible stuff we've done, and even when we look at our own lives, all this stuff I've done, but I know that it was wrong, you're telling me it's that simple? And that's what he's going to go through further. Verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand something's drastically changed. We don't have God's wrath, we now have his grace. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What were we doing in the past? We were exchanging the glory of God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. But now instead, what do we do? We rejoice in the glory of God. Right? We should be desiring his return so that we can be with him, so that we can now truly enjoy the one that saved us, the one that's created us. And we rejoice in the glory of God because we know that when God's glory is revealed, we don't have to suffer his wrath. We know that when his glory is revealed, we're now going to be like him because we're going to see him exactly as he is. You know, it's very funny when we think about seeing God. It's not even a thought I think about very often, but when you talk to John, and he always asks, what does God look like? Why can't I see him? What's he going to be like when I see him? It's very interesting because it's this, it's this person that, that we've never met before, right? What does he look like? Right. And I think as we get older, we kind of just take that wonder and that question, just kind of put it to the side, just figure out, I'll see it when I see it. But this idea that this individual who created us, that is God, what does he look like? Well, we know that he is glorious. It's a word that we can't even describe exactly what he looks because it's more than we could ever possibly handle. But we look forward to that. We rejoice in that. We don't exchange it for something created. We instead rejoice in hope of that full glorification. Verse 3, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. This is a tough one. Because that we know as believers living in this world, we now have gone the opposite direction of the flow of traffic. Traffic is going towards sin, and we've turned it about face, and we're heading into traffic now. Going as it's coming against us, and we know that when you do that, you're going to suffer things as you go through. But we rejoice in that because it shows that we're on the right path. Because what did our Savior, he went through, he went against traffic, and what happened to him? He suffered, he died, but what happened? Resurrection and glorification.
1: And that's the promise for us also. What do we promise when we die? Resurrection and then glorification. Suffering produces
0: perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. I think the idea behind it is that as we suffer and we persevere, we dig our heels in the sand even deeper. We hold our ground even stronger. We get even stronger. We get even stronger in our faith. And that also produces character, become a better believer, and then we have more hope for a future Glorification. Verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. It's no longer God's wrath now, but now we actually have all of his love being poured into us.
1: Verse 6. You see, at just the right time,
0: when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. This is an interesting statement. You know what he's saying here? When Jesus came and he died, that was exactly the right time in all of human history for him to come. That's when God he said, "This is the perfect time, and it's now." When Christ came, when he lived, when he died, and he rose again. There's many people that write books and all kinds of things talking about all the world at the time, the way the roads were, and the way the things with Romans and and the, uh, the Hellenistic society and all those types of things. Those things are all great, but when it comes to salvation history, God said, "This is the perfect time, right now." You see, at just the right
1: time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? You and I. Everybody prior to that and everybody since that time. We were completely powerless. We were under
0: God's wrath because we were under sin. There was nothing that we could do to save us. See, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And who's Christ? None other than God himself in flesh that came and died. He died for the ungodly. And that's interesting. Because what is it saying to the Jews and Gentiles at that point in time? He's saying even to that church, you're not so hot," because, remember, there was some infighting going on between that group of people. One group is saying, hey, I've been a Jew all my life. I've been doing all the right things. You know, that dirty Gentile, I can't believe that he still saved them. And he's saying, no, here's the thing. Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for righteous people. He didn't die for good people.
1: He died for ungodly people. How many righteous and godly people have been, have been on this earth that have been born that way? No. Every human being that's ever been born has the wonderful term of being ungodly. Sinner. Lost. depraved At just the right time, Christ died for those people. And that's all of us. Very rarely, verse 7, will anyone die for a righteous
0: man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. You know, I love movies that have those things where someone takes a bullet for a friend, or jumps in front of something, or saves somebody. Sometimes in our own mind, we we think about oh, what would happen if there was an active shooter. What would I do? Would I, you know, who would I save first? And you know, would I be willing to, to go to the bitter end and save that person? But what would be more interesting is if you and I took somebody who did some violent, horrible
1: crime, right? Just a like something that you and I would go. That person's horrible. We should the shooter. How could I die for that person? I mean, could you imagine that? That serial killer, how could I die for that depraved, horrible, horrible individual? See, for a good man, for a family member, for someone that we love, someone that we find value in, we may think about sacrificing ourselves for that person. Maybe. Right? But Christ died for horrible, horrible people, you and I. Not saying that we're without value, obviously, we're made in his image. But it's talking about our behavior,
0: our conduct, the the, what our soul is, what what we've been so depraved by sin. The, the, The things that we think about, the things that we even think through our mind, the crazy stuff that we would never possibly ever do. He
1: died for ungodly people. He died for the worst of the worst. You and I. Righteous man, some might die for. A good man, some might die for. Verse 8 But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's almost like while we were still in the very act of that sin, he died for us. That's how much he loves us. Who saved us? God did. Who took the initiative in saving us? God did. Whose idea was it to save us? God's. What could we possibly add to the equation? Nothing.
0: What activity could we do? What could we possibly sacrifice? What could we do with our lives that would make it worthwhile, that that it would be worthy of of, of God's forgiveness of all the sin? Nothing. And you and I would never even think about doing that because we want to do what we want to do. God took the initiative, even though we rebelled against him. Even though we deserve all of his wrath, he took the initiative to come down and die while we were still powerless for ungodly sinners. What does that show about his character, that he loves us? He demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Now, what we're going to see after this in Romans chapter 5 is we're going to see a lot of things where he says, how much more, or so much more. He's kind of adding to say, okay, this is what was before, now how much more now that we're saved. Verse nine, since we've been justified by his blood, since we've been declared righteous by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Right? I mean, so if you look and say, okay, yeah, when I was born a sinner and I sinned into all these things, I get it. The wrath of God was being revealed from heaven against the activities and the things and the thoughts and my actions and my behavior. Absolutely. It deserved it. I was exchanging the glory of God always for others. No. So that deserves his wrath. How much more, if he's died for me and demonstrated his own love for me and shed his own blood for me, and he has declared me righteous, how much more shall I be
1: saved from God's wrath through him? What's stronger, sin or the sacrifice of Christ? The sacrifice. If there was any question of, is it enough? It's absolutely enough. For a Jewish person, you can see where this would be very difficult. You can see where they would say, I don't need to sacrifice anymore? Are you, are you sure? old David's home
0: and all that. You sure I don't think you keep doing that stuff? You sure I don't have to do the kosher meats and all that? I don't have to, really? You're telling me that this is enough? Even for the pagan, you're telling me I don't need to sacrifice one of my children? Are you sure? Okay, this is, this is enough. I mean, you know, the person, the sailor on the sea. You sure you don't have to do something to make sure the sea is calm. And I mean, this is what Christ did is enough. He's he loves me. He's going to never leave me or forsake me. He's always with me. He's saying, if it was, if God's wrath was from sin, and this justification took care of that sin because of His own love for us, it's everything that we need. How much more shall we be saved from His wrath through what Christ did? Verse ten.
1: For if when we were God's enemies, that's an interesting statement to think of. Before Christ what was I? I was a hostile combatant to God. Not I was just, you know,
0: collateral damage from a missile. No, I had a gun with a laser pointer on his
1: head. An enemy. I mean that that's our sinful condition. We hate God. We're his enemy.
0: Because every time we do an action in a sin, something that he said don't do, and we keep doing it, we're showing him that we are the aggressor, that we keep aggressing and aggressing and aggressing. For when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, that statement again, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Right? He's gone even though we were his enemy, he demonstrates his love for us, he pays the penalty, He does the. he, he pays the price, he now reconciles us to himself, now, how much more based on the reconciliation shall we now have his life? Shall we be saved through his life? Again, the sin, what happened at the garden, what sin did was huge. It was—it has it had ramifications until God says it's an end. And it's gone throughout the entire human race, and it
1: continues to go through the human race, and it has wreaked havoc for millennia. But what Christ did on the cross is so much more powerful than what sin did to this world. And it's so much more power than
0: you and I could ever imagine. It is actually gone. It has that much more to save us. It has that much more
1: to save us from his wrath, what Christ did on the cross. Verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our
0: Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've changed from being his enemy to now we rejoice in him. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Right? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned. What happened after they sinned? Sin entered the world. And ever since that point in time, what has happened to every human being from that point
1: from Adam and on? We're all sinners. And what is the proof? What is the proof that we're all sinners? We all die. Every time another human being dies, that is brutal, sinner. None of them lived
0: and continues to live and live and live, because if there was someone who did not sin, they wouldn't die. But every single human being dies because that is God's judgment for sin. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account... When there is no law. Okay, why is he even going through this statement, right? What he's doing is it's for the Jew to say, because the Jew keeps putting their their emphasis on the law. Well, what about the law? What about the law? What about the law? Paul's saying this whole deal goes back to the beginning. This is a sin where it originated. It originated with Adam and Eve. When Adam sinned, death came. Sin ruled. Sin reigned. Sin entered the picture, and now death has come. Now, even before the law came, were people dying? Yes, you just go to Genesis chapter 10, and it's like, you die, you die, you die, you die. No matter if you live 900 years, it's ending, you die. So he says death still was there, and then the law came. But he says sin is not taken into account when there was no law. What What do they mean by that? It means that when you add a law to it, and now you know that if you've been driving down the road at 100 miles an hour, and everything, you just keep going 100 miles an hour, and all of a sudden so someone puts a speed limit sign that says the speed limit's 50, and you keep going 100 miles an hour, and there's a camera there. What's happening? Well, you're transgressing it. You're just adding up those transgressions over and over again to say, hey, you guys got to slow down. It's got to be 50 miles an hour. You keep transgressing over and over and over again. Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. For Moses, we had the Ten Commandments. Death reigned from the very beginning from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, any specific command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. So what does he say? Sin has been an issue from the very beginning. It wasn't it was the law was just added, he gets that later on, to make the transgressions even more, to really get our eyes open to go, oh my gosh, we're a mess. We've got a huge problem here. God set the marker, and we can't meet it. That's sin. But Paul's going right back to the beginning and saying, hey, sin started right here. It doesn't even matter about the law necessarily. That was just so that trespass might increase. But I just want to show you that, hey, people have been dying from day one all the way through because of sin. And then he says what's incredible about this, it was the action of one individual. Right? If you and I want to scream about fairness, we might say, well, wait a second here. You're telling me because our great 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 grandparents sinned, we all suffer the ramifications for that on doubt and continued generations until God comes back. Well, yeah, and then you and I would think, well, what do we do to fix it, right? What technology can come we come up with? What can we sacrifice? What can we burn? What can we do to appease God's wrath to make sure that we fix this? Verse fifteen. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses
1: and brought justification. What does he say? Adam sinned. It brought sin to the entire world. One disobedience brought judgment for all mankind for all of time until God comes back. So also, the solution came by the action of one man, Jesus Christ, God in flesh. His one act of obedience,
0: dying on the cross for our sins, shedding his blood to pay the penalty for our sins, that
1: one act is enough to solve it. One act of disobedience causes the mess. One act of obedience
0: is a solution. But here's what Paul's saying: You could say, "Okay, it's one for one." Okay. No, because let me show you. Was that one act of disobedience very powerful and its ramifications for this world? Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like you know the the Narnia books we read and things like that, where it's like darkness just came over the whole the whole land.
1: Incredibly powerful. But that was one act of disobedience brought judgment. When Christ died, what was he dealing with? He was dealing with all of the trespasses that have started from the time of Adam
0: up until that point, and all of the disobedience that was to come after Christ until God comes back. He was taking all of those trespasses and one
1: act of obedience paying the penalty for all of those on the cross. So, If this one was powerful, because one act of disobedience to impact everybody, how much more powerful is what Christ did
0: on the cross to take all the disobedience and embody it? He who knew no sin became sin for us. That's an interesting statement. He became sin. When God looked at Christ on the cross, he looked at all the nastiness. He became sin for us. So that one act of obedience took care of all of that sin, how much more now? If God, if Christ's act of obedience there on the cross paid for our justification, how much more powerful is our just our uh, justification over sin? It's even more powerful than that. It has the power to save.
1: How does it work? He's explaining exactly how it works. But it seems so easy just to put faith in Christ. Oh
0: yeah. He wants us to put our faith in him. Is it strong enough? Is it powerful enough to save? You have no idea the power of the blood of Christ. It is the most powerful thing on earth. That sacrifice on the cross was enough to appease God's wrath of all the sin that's ever been
1: committed or ever
0: potentially will be committed. That has all the power to save because it's more powerful than that one act of disobedience that caused the mess in the first place.
1: The solution
0: is more powerful than the cost.
1: That makes sense? Okay.
0: Verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, Death reigned through that one man, right? Adam sinned; death is reigned. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That's interesting. What that's saying in this is that when you and I got saved, when we put our faith in Christ, what we were given is something you and I can't even possibly imagine the ramifications for. Because in this life, yes, we understand what it's like to be forgiven. We understand what it's like to be washed from our sins. We understand what it's like to finally understand what it means to obey Christ. We actually can hear his voice when we read his word. We know what it's to feel God's love for us. We know what it's like to feel his forgiveness. We know what it's like to have the weight of sin removed from us. We know what it's like to have a hope of heaven. We know what it's like to have a relationship with him that he actually answers prayer, that he's there for us to strengthen us. And keep us. We experience a lot of things the rest of the world doesn't experience. But the final, our, fi- our full eternity, we have no idea what that's going to be like, because it says that we're going to fully understand what it's like, we're going to receive his abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness to reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. Our full
1: salvation and our full glorification, we can't even conceive in our mind what that's going to be like. Well, what do you mean? If the trespass of the one man caused an issue
0: that that has been the death blow for every human being from that time all the way until Christ comes back. Very powerful. Could you only imagine the power and the ramifications of what it's like to have the grace of God reign in our life through a Christ in the cross, and we've received that. If the one trespass caused this, could you imagine what the full forgiveness and reconciliation And peace with God and the love of God and the grace of God and the the, the reigning it with Him for all eternity is going to be. It's going to be even more powerful, more glorious, more amazing than you could ever imagine. We can't even conceive. No one's conceived, nor has even entered into the thought of man what
1: God has prepared for those who love him. Consequently, verse 18. Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation
0: for all men. So also, the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Who is it available to? Everybody. Sin was an equal opportunity person, wasn't it? Once sin entered in,
1: everybody gets it. When Christ came and died on the cross for our sins and said, Trust me, believe me, it's available to all. To all who respond in faith. Verse 20.
0: The law was added so that the trespass might increase. Because this whole time, you know, the Jews asked, like, okay, what's the point of all of these really clean pages in our Bible that we don't read? What about all this stuff? He says the point of that was this, is that after a while, you and I have a very short memory, right? The Jews had a short memory of about 40 days of actually hearing and seeing God before they get down right down to idolatry. You and I, if we look at our own life, our memory is really, really short when it comes to God also. And sometimes we even, we get so used to sin or you're so used to death, right? It's very interesting. You know, even though we see it all the time and things like that, and we know it's, it's, a, it's a final end for any, all of us. It's something that we kind of get used to. Oh, another person died. I mean, every time we go past the cemetery, every time we see a funeral procession, every time someone dies, yes, it causes pain, but it should be also something that really just bothers us. There's not, there's something not right about that. Right, It should cause us to really ask a lot of questions and really dig deeper about it. But oftentimes it's just, okay, another one went. And just what happens, and we continue living on But the law was
1: added so that people would say, oh, wait a second here. God laid it laid it down. He goes, okay, here's ten things. Ten. We've talked about this many times before. Ten things I want you to do. And nobody has yet been able to hold to even one of those consistently. Shall should have gods before me. So there it goes right there. You should not covet. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not
0: uh, bear false witness. All these different things that he's he said to us, he laid those down so that people would say, okay, let me measure my life against that. Failed. Okay, let me try another new, new day. Failed. Let me try next minute. Failed. 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 failed, failed. Why can't I follow this? Ah, because you're a sinner.
1: But I can't follow it. Exactly. You can't. Well, what do I do? Don't worry. I took care of it for you on the cross. Oh, but but I can't do that. No, you can't. I've already paid it in full.
0: Oh, thank God. You've already paid the debt. You've already paid the thing. I just have to simply receive receive what you're here to give me? Yes. The purpose of the law was to do that, was to measure the life against something, to realize we have a fatal illness called sin, and we need someone to save us. That was the idea, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. The law was added so that when we become conscious of sin, and it was added so that we see all the sins that we have, let's just start counting them up. And we see that one, oh, guilty, two, three, four, and it keeps going, it was added so that the trespass might increase, but, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Because how many sins did Christ die for? All of them. He who knew no sin became sin. He took care of him. So even though sin increased, grace actually increases exponentially more. Verse 21, why? So that just as sin reigned in death, and we've seen that in our world, so also grace might
1: reign through righteousness, to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we ask ourselves, how does it work? How, why did God do it that way? How does he how does it do it just from the one act
0: and then the one act? He's explaining it right here. And it's all for us to come down to and say, is putting our faith and trust in Christ enough to deal with all the things I've done and you've done and the whole world's done and all the things? Absolutely. Because, yeah, we've seen sin reign, but what God has done in Christ on the cross,
1: grace reigns and can take care of all of that even more. To the point that you and I can't even fathom what that's going to be for all eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the truth in your word. I pray, Father, that as we uh, think through this and read through this ourselves, Lord, that your word will be what sticks in our hearts and our lives, Lord, that will cause us to really Chew on it a little bit, Lord, and uh,
0: understand it better. I pray that it help us to be more obedient to you, to follow you more, to, to trust you more. I pray, Father, as we even try to apply what's being said here, that most of all, Lord, it will cause us to be more thankful to you and to love you more, to be more
1: excited about the salvation that we have in you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.